Luke chapter 18 verses 1 through 8, the parable of the persistent widow. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones, who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, will he see that they get justice and quickly? However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So welcome to the second of three talks about justice and racism at St Peter's. If you haven't listened to Dom's talk, which was last week, please do so, it was great. Uh, I'm going to talk about the church's response to structural and systemic injustice. Um, and next week, we're very lucky to have uh, Ben Lindsay, who's going to talk about race. So let me tell you a bit about myself, some of my backstory. So I was born in Kenya from a family whose roots are in Amritsar, in North India, in the Punjab. Um, I came to live in England in February 1968 after the British government rushed through in three days legislation that would restrict my right to British citizenship. Unless my sisters and I were present in England on the 1st of March 1968. So it was a great rush we left overnight. Growing up, I became aware of how colonial power had been exercised in the Amritsar massacre in 1919, the atrocities committed in Kenya uh, for the Mau Mau uprising, um, the slave trade and of Martin Luther King and the struggle for civil rights in the US, of Nelson Mandela and apartheid in South Africa and Enoch Powell's 1968 Rivers of Blood speech in Birmingham. I understood that some people experience life very differently from others. And throughout my working life, I've been involved uh, with children and families and have seen the impact of uh, poverty um, uh, for children and families in the inner city. I'm in a mixed race marriage and I got to see the difference that was um, that uh, difference in the way that I was treated from Jerry, my husband, who is white. And on a visit to India, I, uh, I was completely uh, overwhelmed. And to my horror and shame, I saw in India the inhuman treatment of my black friends as a result of their skin colour. At the age of 10, I became a Christian. I found out that God loved me and he knows that we damage each other and we get damaged as well. That he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world 
to take the consequences of all the wrong things that we carry. He reconciles and restores people in their relationship with him and with each other. He recreates us with his Holy Spirit and empowers us to live well so that we can act justly, love mercy and walk humbly with God. God loves justice, you see. Jesus left his privilege, he that created the whole universe, left his privilege and he humbled himself and became a servant. And do you know what? Jesus calls us friends. He asks us to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and to love our neighbour, our neighbour who is local, our neighbour who is geographically um, global, to love them just like we love ourselves. He instructs us not to oppress the foreigners, to deny justice to the poor, to withhold wages, not to pervert justice, not to do anything that endangers our neighbour's life, not to be hard-hearted and tight-fisted, not to have oppressive laws that deprive the poor of their rights. And yet we see, don't we, uh, justice not being done with the Windrush generation, the Grenfell atrocity, the high rate of deaths of BM, BAME uh, health workers during COVID. And in our education system, we still see white working class boys uh, underachieving. We see benefit claimants who have to wait five weeks in anguish and despair for their first universal credit payment. This is not justice. So what is injustice? And what are the mechanisms of injustice? Well, injustice is not treating people fairly and equally, rightly and lawfully and respectfully. It's like an insidious virus, a bit like COVID. It's everywhere, it's universal. It's looking for someone to devour, often society's poorest. You have personal injustice, so perhaps walking down the road, I might be mugged and uh, the mugger is caught and I can say, you were unjust with me. But we also have structural injustice and this is insidious. It's in institutions and it's in structures and it's in systems that discriminate. Structural injustice enables some people to flourish and prevents others from doing so. What does flourishing mean? Some of us have power, we have voice, we have a profile, we belong, we have the capacity to make decisions. We have teams made in our own image that are like us. We show partiality and favoritism. We decide what we should do and how it should be done. We pay lip service to policies that equalize us and we decide what we want to communicate and what we're going to conceal. We shut down opposition, we maintain the status quo. This is called discrimination. We discriminate based on people's race, their color, their culture, their abilities, their age, their heritage and history, 
ethnicity and identity and gender and sexuality. This is called culture in terms of every organization, every institution has a culture. It's the way we do things. So in Jerry and Nita's household, the way that we do things is often within the phrases that we use. We say perfection eludes us, but mostly we do well. We say it's not the critic who counts. In our home, you, there's lots of color. We have a sense of identity. We're relaxed, we're comfortable, and it's spacious. What do people in St. Peter's say about themselves? What phrases do we use? Do we include or not? Can diverse people feel at home at St. Peter's? What's the impact of this culture that allows some to flourish and some not to? Well, it's a very damaging impact. People can feel disabled, they can feel powerless, they can feel homeless, they can feel constrained and silenced, stuck, sometimes criminalized, vulnerable, excluded, angry, disrespected, hopeless, and often very, very frustrated. So let me share with you um, a story that was in the, uh, in the news recently that demonstrates what structural injustice is like. This is a very sad story. It's a story of Mina Smallman, who's a Church of England archdeacon, who received the dreadful news that her adult daughters, who'd been celebrating in uh, their birth, one of their birthdays in the park, had been murdered. This is every parent's nightmare. The grief is beyond measure. She was also informed, to make matters worse, that, the, that it was alleged that two police officers that attended the crime scene had taken selfies of the dead woman. In her response, Mina Smallman said this, if ever we needed an example of how toxic culture it has become, these officers felt so safe felt so untouchable that they could take photographs of the dead black girls and pass them on. It speaks volumes of the ethos that runs through the organization. It de dehumanized her children. And what was worse, they sent them on to members of the public. We should be utterly outraged. In the Bible, there's an example of um, a widow uh, who wants justice, who's seeking justice. And uh, the story goes like this. There's an unjust judge and he doesn't care about people. He definitely doesn't care about God and he is completely unaccountable. Then there's a widow and I'm going to imagine that this widow is a 21st century widow uh, who's been lobbying for change, who's written to her MP, who's been sending endless emails, who's been knocking on the door so that the judge himself, who doesn't care about justice, who doesn't care about people, 
and definitely doesn't feel accountable, is now so fed up that he's thinking about what he might have to do. So what's the widow asking justice for? Maybe she's saying, grant me justice in my dealings with the prison system. Maybe she's saying, grant me justice in my dealings with landlords. Maybe she's saying, grant me justice in my dealings with unfair employment practices, people's racism, the judiciary, the local council, banks, multinationals, even the church, hospitals, the education system, the police, the media, or maybe even the house, the home office. So the unjust judge in this story uh, feels completely intimidated and pestered. In fact, he thinks that he's even going to be killed by this widow. So in the end, he gives her justice. And there's a contrast here between the unjust judge who doesn't care and God who does care. He cares about people. And this is what Jesus says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to them, cry out to him day and night? And will he not do it quickly? And will he find faith when he comes? So God, the God of the universe, who loves you and made you, will he not hear that cry of injustice in all those different ways? So as followers of Jesus, what should our response be? Well, I think that we have a mandate, don't we? We, the church, have a mandate to loose the chains of injustice. And I'm going to now read you Isaiah 58. And I hope that you um, can make sense of it because it's very um, overt. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not, is it not you, for you to share food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden like a spring 
whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets to dwell. What lovely promises. What a lot that says about the heart of God for the oppressed, for the people on the edges. It's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing uh, bit of writing in the Bible in Isaiah 68. And I encourage you to reflect on that. So we, as God's children, we as the church, we need to be strong and courageous, very courageous in fact. We need to reflect and act on these things. We need to think about we as church, perhaps in our church teams, and the different things that we do. Are we discriminating? Are we discriminating in the content that we have, in our worship and in our preaching, in our children's work, in our prayer, in our, children, in our youth work, in our finances, in the social and community action that we're taking and the communication that we do? Are we ethnocentric in any way in terms of the content, the resources, the images? the languages, the examples that we use? And does justice get a look in in our worship? Does it get a look in in our preaching, in prayer, in our children and youth work, in our finances, social and community action, in our communication? Do we even know about the injustices that people suffer daily? locally and nationally and globally? Do we encourage people in our congregation who can lead us in these ways? Will God find faith when he comes? So if you're a, if you are a Christian, I want to say to you, be strong, have faith because God hears you. He hears your cry and he will give you justice over all the different things that you think and pray about. And he will help you to walk, to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. If you're someone who doesn't know God, I'm going to say to you, please don't harden your heart because we need our hearts changed in these days of deep injustice, injustice. Let God recreate you so that you can act justly, love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Thank you.